Welcome to the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. In this episode, we are ranking interior defensive linemen for the 2023 NFL Draft. There have been a handful of interior guys that have littered first-round mock drafts over the last couple of months. We've got one guy who we've seen in the top five, top three, and a handful of other players that have been all throughout the first round. And We kind of get down to it, put these guys under a microscope, and tell you how many first-rounders we actually think there could be from this class. So we'll give you our rankings, five to one, but... You know how this podcast goes. We'll probably end up talking about six, seven, eight names to get you guys prepared for this interior defensive line class. I'm Trevor Sikama. With me, as always, is Connor Rogers. Let's ring the bell. Welcome to the opening bell of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. I'm Trevor Sikama. That is Connor Rogers. Joining you for the final time this week to rank interior defensive linemen that's right we're back to positional rankings for this episode and we're hitting idl you know there's a major player that we're going to be talking about at the very end of the podcast what about the rest of the class right we've seen some first round mocks littered with different interior defensive linemen connor and i put a lot of these guys under the microscope to tell you whether or not we think that those are appropriate spots whether maybe we should cool it on this d-line class a a little bit connor how we feeling today my friend I'm good, man. A good. I'm I'm ready to round out this week with the interior D line. Uh, I think it'll be a different show than our other ranking shows. Mm-hmm. I, I think this group I came away with more roles besides the bona fide superstar at the top, which was a very interesting experience. I think this is the group that you and I exchanged the most texts during watching it. Out of all of the groups, we usually. Stay, you know, stay silent. So there's the surprise factor. I don't think right. the show needed the. Actually, no, I take that back. There were some surprises that, compared to narratives or compared to what you see in mock drafts, that we're going to get in on today's show because we are very honest on this show. So that was something I came away with that we were going back and forth on, where it's like, did you watch this game? Did you see that? Uh, I think that's the most interesting part of today's show compared to the others. There is one player specifically within this group that we watched that I need to know where you have them ranked. And mm-hmm. like that, that's the one that I'm looking forward to see, seeing where you have the most, because you did before we hit record, you said there is one guy who was very pleasantly surprising in this class. And I'm wondering if it's the player that I'm thinking about here, but you guys know the drill on how we do this. We'll go from five to one. We'll each go back and forth, leave the suspense of who would be number one till the end. <clears throat> it's Jalen Carter. Uh, but we will leave the suspense of the episode until the end. But you guys know how we do this. We'll also give you kind of who's right on the outside as well. We'll probably be talking six, seven, eight different guys here in this class and giving you our thoughts just where we believe it is strongest and where we believe that this position group compares to the rest of what we have seen so far in the 2023 draft class. So Connor, as always, I will give you the floor. My friend, who is your number five interior defensive tackle for one of these days, I'm going to flip the script and I'm just going to kick it back to you like a serve, but, or like a return serve, but that day is not today. I'll just, I'll waste no time. We'll get right into it. Number five for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, start off with this because I've gotten some messages on this and this is a great call out by our listeners. We'll always try to explain tiers going forward. Five and four are going to be in a tier for me um, as are kind of two and three. And then one is in his own. So keep in mind that number five has another guy in front of him. That's in the same tier. Number five is Keanu Benton uh, for me, the gigantic nose tackle 
uh, that will be at the Senior Bowl. He played at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. He does line up a little bit all over the place, but mo- you know he's one of the rare guys in this class that can be a true nose tackle. He's listed at 6'4", 315. He looks bigger than that to me, Trevor. He really does. Maybe he's because of it. Huge. He's huge. He's just a mammoth of a human being. Yeah, he is. He re- he's definitely all of that 6'4". I, I think he's going to play closer to 325, 320 at the NFL level. Um, he had a pretty good season. Finished 2022 with four and a half sacks, 11 more quarterback hits, 11 hurries. And while you hear those numbers, you go, okay, that's okay. Keep in mind, that was with a 13.4% pass rush win rate. So he mm-hmm. made the most of his opportunities to rush the passer for a guy that was lined up on about 200 of his 416 D-line snaps were either at nose tackle or shade nose. So either right off, uh, right in front of the center or right off the shoulder of the center for those listening at home that always wonder when you hear shade nose, you're just bumping off a little bit from that typical zero alignment. Had 12 tackles for a loss and 21 total solo stops against the run. So this dude gets after it in the run game. He's a bit of a problem in the run game. I wrote down wrecking ball type mentality as an interior rusher. He's got a strong club rip. Uh, He can swim. So I was pretty impressed at his size, what he's able to do as a rusher. I think that's because he's played a a good amount of football, honestly, already for this Wisconsin team. He's had a lot of playing time over the years. I'm going to double check that as we're sitting here right now to show just how many years he's had a significant role. But you know, this year he played all 12 games. Uh, 2021, he started all 13 games. The COVID season, he played seven games, had five starts. And then in 2019, since he got on campus, he played in 13 games and had six starts. So this dude's Mm -hmm. really a four-year starter when you look at it at a position that when you come out of high school and they stick your ass right at the zero in the thick of the absolute hell in the Big Ten, this guy's been doing it for a long time. And that's just very, very impressive in itself to me. I think it speaks to his character, his makeup, um, and and the fact that he, you know, it was kind of sink or swim for him at Wisconsin right away, and he's held his own. And you hear how much he's played. He's still a young player. I think he's still going to be, he's still 21 years old right now. So this isn't a guy that's been hanging around college for a really long time. Uh, and I think he'll have a pretty nice senior bowl situation where he gets those one-on-ones where he can use his power and his surprising quickness. I, I just wrote down as a funny note for me, moves well for a beefy player. That, that's just, I'm always surprised when you see a guy at that size, that's a true nose for the most part. And he's moving quite well. I wrote down he can eat double teams and he knows how to use his mass um, to his advantage. He understands how to two gap. He could stick his weight around. He can hold the point of attack. I think with Benton, you know, I said all those nice things about him and still I I came out of this kind of with that third roundish grade for him. I, I didn't really jump out where I go, okay, he's this every down player. He's a rotational nose for me. And ideally You'd like him out there on early downs to stop the run. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see him get even stronger in goal line situations. That was a couple couple plays that surprised me where I watched him on goal line. I don't like to see him moved uh, off the goal line. I don't know if he was trying to guess what direction the run game was going or something along and make the big play. He has a knack for the big play. And, and sometimes when guys like this have a knack for the big play, uh, they can get caught guessing the wrong way and they lose leverage or they get redirected. So sure. that that happened to him a couple of times, but just a rock solid player, Trevor. He's not a dud against as a rusher. He's a decent pass rusher because of that mm. power and, and pass rush prowess he's developed as a four year starter. But what you like about Benton is he's just a true nose that you're going to stick him in on early downs. You're going to rotate. He's probably a guy that's going to play 40 to 45, maybe 50% of the snaps at the NFL level. Uh, but he snuck into my top five. So he was not in my top five, but 
I, I, I do think he's a pretty solid player. You know, you mentioned how experienced he is. He started 32 out of 45 games that he has been at Wisconsin. You mentioned from the very beginning, the 2019 season. I think that that's because, um, you know, when he showed up on campus, I mean, he looked like a grown ass man. I think he was six foot four, 290 pounds. I saw in his recruiting profile. And so for you to play in the trenches right away in Wisconsin, I think that that's a nod that you, uh, that you need to make sure that you recognize. I also believe that he was a captain this year. So if you are noting those things in your scouting profile, I think that that is important. Look, he's just a, he, he is a pretty solid player. And I was watching a couple of interviews of his, um, it's something that I like to do whenever I can. I I like to, you know, just see what a guy was going to work on this year. Some of the things that were his goals, because specifically he mentioned pass rush moves, really something that he wanted to work on going into this year, getting into the backfield a little bit more. And I thought you saw a better pass rusher this year. No doubt about it. He definitely put some work in there and he, I noticed this and I, I want to give him credit for it because other players, I would see them try moves that they can't pull off. And I, sometimes you, you look at it as a negative, like, man, you don't know what you're doing in, in, in the pass rush game. You don't know your strengths and weaknesses I'm going to find out. for Benton. Right. I think that he was honestly experimenting. I, I think that he went into this year saying, I want to become a much better pass rusher. And so he was going out there. He was trying some stuff. Uh, I watched him try a couple of spin moves and, Though a lot of them didn't hit, you know, like I, I can at least appreciate that he's trying to get better with it. So I, I do feel like most of what he is going to be in the NFL is going to be a strength guy as a nose tackle, just because of the sheer size, six foot four, about 315, 320 pounds. So I do think that he's pretty solid in that regard. Maybe he is going to get a lot better in the pass rush profile area of his game. Maybe he is going to become more refined. And even if he hones it down to, maybe only a couple of different moves, you know, a long arm, of course, a bull rush, a push, pull, a swim move, whatever from that zero technique spot. If he can get those down, then all of a sudden you've got a really solid run defender who on obvious passing situations, maybe you don't have to sub him out. Maybe you can keep him on the field and make his uh, presence known with, with how big he is. So he didn't make my top five, but I am glad that you gave him a nod there. Cause I do think that he's a solid player. And to be honest, solid player is g- good in this class. Like there are a couple of other guys Role that player. I have. There are a Role couple player. of guys Win. that I have ranked ahead of him simply because of potential, but yep. there are even players that I have ranked ahead of him that I will fully admit have a lower floor than Keanu Ben does. And sure. if you are a team that is picking in the, like you said, I think the third round's a nice spot for him, right? Somewhere in the middle or end of day two. And you're like, we just need a good interior guy. Like, we need a good nose tackle. Draft You are drafting this guy even over some of the players that I think that I, I might have ranked ahead of him right now. So I'm glad that you kind of mentioned him that way. And that's actually a good segue into who I have as number five. I have Byron Young, and I don't know if I'm okay. just a sucker for people who are named Byron Young in this I class. Because I also... <laughs> Can I clarify something? You, I thought you really liked the Tennessee Byron Young. I'm not You're crazy, correct. right? You are okay, correct. Okay, cool. I want to make sure. I want to make sure I've been thinking you like the other Byron Young that much this whole time, and we were thinking of two totally different people. But please go on. No, so I had Byron Young as edge six in uh, in in yes, the edge yes. rankings, and uh, I have Byron Young, the defensive lineman, who, who by the way, they are both at the Senior Bowl. And they are oh, both great. on the same team. Oh, lovely. So they are on the same defensive line. 
you're obviously going to know which one's which because one of them's going to wear 47 and the other one's going to wear six. One of them's going to have a Tennessee helmet on. The other one's going to have an Alabama helmet on. But I do just think that that is hilarious. So Byron Young, uh, measurements here, six foot three, 292 pounds, very experienced guy. He has started 25 out of 52 games that he has played in throughout his Alabama career. He's been another player who's been consistently out there in the lineup, obviously much more of a starter over the last couple of seasons, but 52 games because Bama's playing in a lot of extra games, right? They're playing in the SEC championship. They're playing in the college football playoffs. So you get a couple of extra games uh, throughout the year. So 52 total games that he's played over the last four years. He is a senior. Um, Watched a handful of games of them. And I think that he is just a, he is a good versatile player. He can play anywhere from, a three technique to a five technique, right? The six foot three, 292 pounds. I mean, that's kind of a tweener, right? I mean, like, I think that some people would be like, okay, well, is he really big enough to play in the interior? I think he is. And I think that you could play him at three tech. You could play him at five tech. You could play him inside. You could play him in odd fronts as well. You could play him as a defensive end in odd fronts because Connor, I just think this dude is so solid. The first thing that I noticed about Byron Young is that the hand placement is great. He, that 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 popped out to me right it's away. One for me too. That when this guy got down in his stance, he can he consistently had fantastic pad level, was able to get up and out and stay underneath the offensive tackle, and his hands were going exactly where they needed to go. If he was trying to hit a different shoulder, one of the hands was going straight out on the arm or straight under the shoulder pad, and the other hand was going right into the chest or right under the armpit on the other side. He was totally controlling those guys as he was angling them. If he was going with a straight bull rush, boom, those hands would fire quickly inside, but it's just getting right under the armpit. He's got total control. He can easily push, pull those dudes and manipulate them. Him, throw him to the side to disengage i felt like the hand placement was fa- i mean shoot i saw him you know long arm a couple of times i saw him do a club rip a handful of times it's a move that he liked to go to a lot and so i i just always felt like the experience of byron young showed up consistently in how he attacked the line of scrimmage and got into the backfield he's not the twitchiest guy in the world no I mean, like, it's not like this guy's going to be, you watch some of these premier pass rushers, some of these Uber athletes that we have in this class on the interior and no, he's not going to stand up in that regard, but I think that he's a fantastic run defender. And let me tell you this, he is 292 pounds might be to like, let's just say played at 290 this year, maybe played 295, whatever he defends the run and can go up against double teams better than guys I watched in this class that are 20, 30 pounds heavier than him. Absolutely. And I think that that totally, totally matters. Though backfield production when it came to passing downs wasn't his forte, he is a player who is very useful on those obvious passing situations. I noticed that Alabama loved to have, because his, his first step explosiveness isn't bad. It's actually pretty good. He's just not super twitched up after that when it comes to changing direction and hitting different moves. But I'll tell you, a way that I loved how Alabama used him is they would slant him one way or the other across the line of scrimmage, and he would take out two offensive tackles. He'd take out the guy in front of him, and he'd take out the guy that he is slanting to going straight into his side. You often have a looper coming right after that, whether it was Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, DJ Dale, whoever it was. They would have guys loop around him, and he was fantastic as a crashing player on those stunts and twists. So I, I love to see that from him. I think that that's totally valuable. And um, I just really loved his play. I thought that he was super solid. I thought that he was even more solid, of course, than uh, than Keanu Benton, who I have a little bit lower than him on the rankings. But 
that's just that's that's kind of how I evaluated Byron Young. I just thought he was a really great player. His experience, um, the type of guy that he is, allows you to play him in even or odd fronts, or anywhere from a three technique to a five technique. Like I was said, like I was saying, and um, I'm curious, did did he make your top five, or was he just outside of it? Where was he for you? He was number six. Okay, he was number six. And you know what? You you nailed it. Where you look at him and go, I know what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. And I like that in this class. Like yes. if, if when these guys get picked, I'll have a lot of risk concern with guys ranked ahead of Byron Young. I feel like I know exactly what Byron Young is. I mean, the first thing I wrote down was the same as you with the hand usage. He's just a junkyard dog, right? Like he's just in the sure. thick of it. He's just fighting. He's working through every rep. He doesn't get moved off the ball. He's got that Alabama strength, that Alabama weight room strength. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think he's, pretty filled out so he's probably going to be this interesting 290 295 pound player but when you are that savvy with your hands and you have that work ethic throughout the rep that he has he's going to be fine so i mean no crazy argument for me here of you having him at number five which leads me to number four Mm -hmm. and four and three very interesting players number four for me was siaki um Siaki Ika who I loved I loved over summer loved him Mm -hmm. over summer he I honestly I'll start this off with this didn't think he was the same player this year or didn't take the step I was hoping for him to take I don't know if there's reasons that that happened was he playing through injury did uh was the focus not there I don't know and the flashes still exist there's still plays where he will literally spin the guard around and redirect the running back or right. those, there are plays where he explodes into the backfield or, I mean, this is a 355 pound human that legitimately has the quickness and the burst and the feet to rush the passer. What drove me nuts here, Trevor, with Ika, who I still believe in, by the way. I still have a late second-round grade on him. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with the team taking him in the top 60 and really squeezing out that potential where he could be a pass-rushing nose. And those are guys that are worth the risk because here's the thing with Ika that started to drive me nuts, and it'll it'll drive me even more nuts with the next guy. His down-to-down consistency against the run, I don't understand. I really don't understand. There are plays where he's there and he's like, I don't care if three of you are coming. You're not moving me. I'm blowing this play up. There are also a lot of plays where he gets redirected or blown off the ball. And when you're 355 pounds and that athletic, and I've already seen you, I've already seen you have a great redshirt sophomore year for a great Baylor defense. What's going on? It just kind of surprised me. I think I was uh, really, really shocked at this one. And I'm still believing in the potential of Ika. I'm still believing in the traits that he possesses. But if I was a GM, this guy would be on the top five in my notebook of, I have to interview him and I have to sit down and I have questions that matter so much. And this isn't me making accusations. I'm not saying he doesn't care about football or didn't work hard, but I would be going into Baylor. I'd be talking into every, to every member of that coaching staff, the weight room staff, 
I'd be sitting down with Ika and I'd want to know why is a guy that's 355 pounds has Mm -hmm. the movement ability of a guy that's 250 pounds, Mm -hmm. not playing consistent, especially against the run on a down by down basis. That is way too much talent for him to be number four on this list. So still buying and still believing in Ika, but understand that when you walk away from the tape, there's legitimate concerns um, all over the place. I I just was pretty, I was very shocked by the lack of consistency. Yeah. So I also have Ika at four. Okay. So we're similar there. I think Did that I, surprise you. Cause he, he felt like a, a, I was going into this and I was like, he's going to at least be number three for me. He could be two, but that's a long shot. And then right. I walked away and I'm like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Well, I was already, so I I liked him when we were going through summer scouting. I think you liked him a little bit more than I did, but I, but I understood why you liked him because when you get a guy who is that big physically, who can move the way that he does, that's, that's pretty special. I mean, like this dude will push, pull you, he'll swim, move you. He'll, I mean, he will burst between the gaps of, of centers and guards. Right. I mean, like he's got really good movement skills, but something that I've definitely learned over the years of scouting is you still have to have the baseline, especially mm-hmm. for defensive line play. That's why I'm just going to say, spoiler, Mazzy Smith's not on this list for me. Same Ma- here, brother. Ma- Mazzy My Smith, goodness. God. Mazzy Smith's a lot lower. And it's I don't like, care what your three cone is if you can't play consistently. That's don't the thing. Care. It, you, 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 these, these guys did not play nearly as consistently, especially against the run, as what we wanted to, right? Siaki Ika is six foot four, 355 pounds, and his run defense grades over the last three seasons, even going back to his final season when he was at LSU, 64.8, 66.0, 69.1. You're six foot four, 355 pounds. You play nose tackle. You, you, he is, he has never had a run defense grade above 70 in his entire career. And now the pass rush grades, right? Last year, he had a pass rush grade of an 85.7. This year, he had a 76.2. Uh, the last year at LSU, he had a 75.9. He has always been a really great pass rusher. But at this point, you just need to accept what Siaki Ika is. He is a finesse nose tackle. And then at that point, like, are you are you fine with a 6'4", 355-pound nose tackle being a finesse player? Because he didn't hold up against double teams as consistently well as I thought he was going to. Heck, he was even getting moved a little bit when it was one-on-one sometimes if the center was able to get under him. You know, if he was going to try to shoot a gap and the center of the guard caught him and then all of a sudden he was getting washed a little bit. And it's like, man, 355. So I like, I still like Siaki Ika. Like I said, the swim move can be absolutely devastating. You know, when he will get up and out of his stance and he will, you know, do that little shimmy shake on you. Sometimes the offensive tackles, they go to punch him, and he has a great reaction time of being able to just, boom, swipe the hand and get over, swim move. There it is. All of a sudden, he's in the backfield. If you need a big man who gives you backfield production, he can do it. But you just got to understand that this might not be a full-time player if you can't get that anchor ability from him, especially if you're starting in the middle of that defense. It's too important. Whether you're in an odd front, even front, I don't think it really matters. You got to be able to defend and run and hold the line of scrimmage a little bit better than what we saw from Siaki Ika. The other thing that I want to mention is the arm length. I think the arm length's an issue, man, because even, T-Rex. even when he would hit that swim move fantastically, even when he would maintain that leverage get his hands exactly where they need to be, extend them a little bit, and try to hit a center or a guard with a little push-pull and throw him to the side, 
his hands, his arms aren't long enough to totally cleanly discard these guys. And whether you want to say it's a hold or not, that's fine. But I t- I'm telling you, it, it happened a lot on film and they didn't get called for it. Those offensive linemen, they're still going to hook you a little bit. They're still going to keep their arm in there. They're still going to keep you from getting into the backfield. And that's because he does not have the ability to get out of his stance, put his hands where they need to in the offensive lineman's chest, extend those arms, mm-hmm. and then rip those guys to the side it's the length between that is not long enough for where the offensive lineman cannot recover and also just get a hand in there while they're being kind of thrown to the side and almost like grab you a little bit and sure it's a hold it's a hook but they didn't call it that often and so then all of a sudden a lot of these moves that you're doing to get in the backfield they're neutralized because you can't get that separation with your arms so i think he's a little bit physically limited with the arm length And for whatever reason, he just did not hold up to the point of attack the way that you wanted to. Now, it sounds like we're really bashing him here, but the things that he does do well are very noticeable. You don't get six foot four, 355 pound guys that have the quick twitch that he does getting out of his stance. And if you could just get some more strength out of him, if hold the point of attack better, then you got yourself a damn good defensive lineman. But the floor with Ika is lower than I wished it was when you look at his measurables. And I think that that was my takeaway there with him. Yeah, his best five plays will be not as impressive, but very impressive like Jalen Carter's would, right? Ika's Ika's best five plays is probably, if if you just did that exercise of give me the best five of every every defensive tackle in his class, he'd be two. Yeah, he'd be two behind. Like, honestly, hands down. I actually don't think it would be close. I mean, Mazzy's Uh, probably the only other one who's there. I take that back. I take that back. But still, yes. Because, you know, we call offensive linemen. He's not not the only other guy. There's no guy who's in there. You know, we call offensive linemen dancing bears when they have Mm -hmm. great feet. Ika's like a dancing T-Rex. He does so much with his feet and hips, but he's got these little arms that just, it just, like you said, it really does limit him. Um so that'll be something he has to make up for, but really just leverage and overall strength. And I I just wonder sometimes, does the green light turn on differently for guys when they get the chance to rush? Because that's what it looked like when watching him play. Mm. Like when I think of the best nose tackles I've watched in the NFL, if a team is in freaking 22 personnel, right? They got the same attitude as when they're in empty. They don't care. They're just going to absolutely whoop the shit of out of whoever's in front of them and with Ika I felt like when he had the chance to pin his ears back and rush he was a madman more often than not when he had to do the dirty work against the run it was more 50 50 60 40 of him doing it and that's not good enough it's just not good enough so I want to see more out of him but still a player that I think has way too much potential which brings me to number three because this is this is the pinnacle of Do that it. example to me. Do it's it. Brian Brzee. Yeah. Brian Brzee yeah. is number three on this list. Yeah. Now I want to be careful here because this is one I've spent a lot of time on and thought about a lot. Uh, Brzee finished in 2022 with three and a half sacks, four more quarterback hits, 17 hurries in 10 games. He had a pass rush win rate of 14.5%, which is not a bad metric at all for an interior defensive line. A guy that also kicks out wide like you you texted me trevor at you know the end of the season they started to have him rush off the edge a little bit more play five tech um maybe try to get him going 
With Brzee, it's a complicated case, right? This is a former number one overall recruit in the 2020 class. He is six foot five, 300 pounds, and just the movement abilities is very, very impressive. He can mm-hmm. move for a six five, 300 pounder. I mean, like a basketball player out there. Really, he really can. And he's had such an interesting road throughout college where he's never blossomed into a superstar. Yeah, he's been a good player. Honestly, he's been a good player. He's not blossomed into a superstar like everybody assumed he would. Tore his ACL in 2021. And this is what I want to lead in with this year's film as a caveat. This dude's 15-year-old sister passed away from brain cancer in late September during the season. Mm -hmm. And I can't even wrap my head around playing college football, being viewed as one of the premier players in the country. And it felt very sudden, too. I know she was at a game in the beginning of the season where the Clemson team even, you know, honored her, introduced her. And then obviously things unfortunately horribly took a turn um, and she passes away in September from a horrific disease that no human being deserves. And I want to be careful evaluating Brzee because I I just don't know how anyone can function in their job with that in in the middle of their showcase, we'll call it. I, I mean, this is a guy I watched over summer, and I'll read my summer notes first before this season happened. Combination of quickness and power is in a pretty unique tier. A total junkyard dog against the run. He's more than willing to do dirty work. He's a scheme diverse and athletic build from multiple alignments up front. And then this year I watch him. He could still rush the passer, especially for a big man. Mm-hmm. He's very active. He plays hard. Um, you know, he'll have a tough rep where he gets, he loses leverage and strength. And then he'll have a rep where he makes you look foolish because he's, a, he's pretty flexible at that size. And uh, he has a swim move and he could even turn a little bit. Trevor, this is the thing that has me hung up on why I could not, I don't think I could take him in the first round right now. I don't, I don't know. If I did take him in the first round, and that's a big movement for me because this is somebody I thought would be a pretty locked top 15 selection, you would have to kind of put this year on that he just had a lot going on. When you turn on the tape against Tennessee, a lot of Darnell Wright and Notre Dame, who has pros on that offensive line. They have a tackle that's going to be an absolute bona fide superstar blue chipper in 2024. They have a center in Jarrett Patterson. Dude, he got destroyed. He got freaking destroyed against the run. There's mm-hmm. a play. There's a couple of plays against Darnell Wright where he gets bullied almost off the screen and into the dirt, and yeah. Darnell Wright can just land on top of him. And, and it just shocked me. It just shocked me to that lack of overall strength in the run game and bullying in the run game and leverage in the run game, pad level in the run game. It was just, and he's not a polished pass rusher. Where I look at it because. You could have a guy that's just a unique gifted rusher and you go, he's going to figure it out because mm-hmm. there's a couple things we could teach with his hands. We think he's going to get stronger in his lower half. We think these college lines, they throw these guys all the way from the seven to the zero. They move them around uh, like it's a game of chess. And I don't think that does them much favors, to be honest, at the college level. It's hard for them to learn an alignment and how to rush, work a tackle all game, work a guard all game use your leverage and strength and your lower body against the center and, and push back against their anchor. So I don't think that does them a lot of favors, but Brazil has significant issues against the run against guys that are going to play at the NFL level. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the NFL level, those guys are better than these guys that are projected to get drafted to the NFL level. So I, I this is a player that you and I have texted a lot about. 
I, I think we're officially in the territory where Brzee is more in the real world, a fringe round one player than the mm-hmm. guy that you read everywhere as a top 10 pick. And I, I feel awful what he went through this season. I do lay that caveat in there, but there is a football aspect of this that is very real. Yeah. I, look, I'm, I'm glad that you said um, that at the beginning, because I, I would echo that as well. Uh, going through a family tragedy we f- we often forget that these guys are beyond the the tape that we watch, and that is the part of you and I have talked about that before on this show. That is the part of scouting evaluation that actually means the most because it goes into character, it goes into work ethic, it goes into how quickly or even if you will achieve your full potential. And there's also a lot of things that happen off the field that go into your production that might be able to hamper or help, you know, like sometimes it's both ways. And I'm glad that you, that you mentioned uh, what Brzee went through because I I completely agree with you. His tapes rough. It's, I I mean, you, you mentioned the the Notre Dame and the the Tennessee games, you throw on the Florida state game too. And I don't know a lot about the interior defensive line or the interior offensive lineman for Florida state. I know it's a good team. I know they're going to be good next year. So maybe it's guys that are going to be playing in the league, but whether they're going to play in the league soon or not, he got worked. He got worked against Florida state. He's getting carried across the offensive line. He's getting blown off the ball. And I think a lot of the highlights that you've, that you're going to see of Brazil throughout the NFL draft process are against UNC, that UNC game at the end of the year. He's not even playing interior defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. He's playing edge. And I think they're playing him out at edge because of how much of a liability and how much of a non-factor Brzee was at interior D-line. Now, the things that he does well, he moves extremely well for a six foot five, 300 pound guy. You know, when he was playing across from guards or centers, he could get across the face and he could one gap really well. Like those are things that you definitely notice on tape. The hands, they're active and fast. All of that is there, but he didn't have the pass rush moves. He feels like he's a little high-waisted. There's not a ton of weight on the lower body for him compared to the rest of his body, and so he's high-waisted. He doesn't have a lot of sand in the pants, if you will. Uh, He plays a little bit high because of it. The hand placement is all over the place. Even though the hands are active, the hands are not accurate to where they need to go, not only for run defense, but also for any type of pass rush moves, any swipes, any rips, any anything that he was going for, really. I just felt like he was very inconsistent with his hand usage, and a lot of those highlights that you're going to see against UNC, he's going up against their right tackle. That's Spencer Rowland. And I don't mean to disrespect Spencer Rowland, but he's a grad transfer from Harvard, right? He's not somebody who I think is going to be starting at left or right tackle in the NFL. Brains over so, brawn. Brains so, over brawn. So it was instead Brzee just using his unique, I guess, speed and size on the edge one-on-one to win in those situations because he was not able to win as an interior player. And I even worry about some of him as an interior player beyond what might've been the things that he's dealt with this season. Right. Like I said, I think he's a little high waisted. I think he plays high. I I think is it's hard for him to get his butt down. He just doesn't have that lower body strength where he can really anchor against not just double teams, but like sometimes he's getting carried by like Jared Patterson from, uh, from Notre Dame, their center. Like he was handling Brzee. I felt like pretty easily in that game. So it's just really tough for me to watch Brzee and think, that he is going to be an impact player. This is somebody who, if you want to take a chance on him at the back end of the first round, fine. Um, I think a lot of that would go into kind of like what you said. You got to sit down with him. 
you got to understand where he's coming from. You got to really get down to why did the tape look like the way that it did? And you know what? If, if, if factors off the field went into it, that's okay. It's totally okay. It's totally understandable. You just got to know that because I don't think you're getting an impactful player year one in the NFL. I think year two is probably the very first year that you're really going to get something out of him. And honestly, I think he's a year three, year four of a rookie contract guy. Now, if you believe in him enough and you want to get that fifth year out of him, you could draft him at the back end of the first round. But his tape this year did not get really anywhere close to a first round grade for me. He's more of like a mid-round, third-round film grade for me of, of what I saw. But there's plenty of reason to believe that he has a lot more potential. Like I said, a lot of the things of a, a pass rush profile that I would have liked to see from him technically can be fixed, can be refined. But I think he's got to work on the body a little bit. He's got to work on his discipline. He's got to get better in the run, in run defense if you want to make the most out of that athleticism that people are going to talk about uh, on the timeline and in scouting reports and things like that. So we saw Brian Brzee pretty similarly and this is a guy who when we had watched the flashes of him before when we watched him over the summer we thought that it was going to be top 10 top 15 potential and um as of right now i can't see that anymore i just i I just can't see it from him but he's going to be an interesting dude certainly rooting for rooting for him to put his best foot forward and the best film is yet to come with him. And of course, all of these other guys as well. I think that goes without saying, but it's just, it's, it's a tough situation when you look at his, his time in Clemson and you go, this was a former number one overall recruit in the country who has torn his ACL, who had uh kidney issues this year that he missed time for um, that. He's obviously had a family tragedy that he's, that he's had to go through. And it's like, man, how do you expect the guy to get better? And right. maybe, you know, after really sitting down and understanding his situation, you say, man, the best is yet to come for this kid. It's all right. We're drafting him in the first round. We're getting that extra fifth-year deal. But I uh, just wanted to kind of lay it all out there for everybody watching this podcast and listening to this podcast. There's going to be a ton of talk about Brian Brzee. Hopefully, we gave it some good context there. Yes, the film, the film was not good. But there is still reason to believe that the best could be ahead of him, not just because you believe everybody can get better, but because of the full context of kind of what he's been through, both injury-wise and with his family. So that was that was Brian Brzee to me. I agree with you. Um, I've got him at number three here in this class. Who do you got at number two? All right, so the surprise. Um, the I'm surpri- can I just say, can I just say that I'm pissed? That I'm pissed that we are releasing this episode after Mel Kuyper put out his mock draft, because now it's going to look like we're just copying Mel. I'm glad you said it. I was bringing up Mel at some point of the show. Number one, shout out to Mel, who takes a lot of crap all the time uh, and is like the OG of OGs of this industry. True. I, I'll give Let me give Mel his flowers this year. And I'll agree. I'll disagree with any analyst out there. Mel has had plenty of misses over the years. It happens to all of us. I've noticed Mel this year. Well, and when Mel speaks, he has a it's Mel Kuyper. He's a huge audience. It, it matters a lot. Mm-hmm. I remember Mel was out front when Michael Penix had a good season, and no other analyst I saw besides this show was talking about Michael Penix. Mel liked Jared Verse, which you know has tugs on my heartstrings. Shout out to the Great Danes. And Mel had the conviction to put Friggin' Kalaja Kansi <laughs> at number 10 overall in his mock draft. He's a fun football right, player, so, man. He's a fun football it's, player. It's ideal week for us. Um, and I tweeted, uh, Tyler Browning has had 
it does a great job posting clips. And I tweeted over one of his one of his uh, Cansey clips. You know what I thought of Cansey because I watched him this week for this show. And I think it was the same day Mel dropped that mock draft, and I'm like, man, I loved Kalaja Cansey. <laughs> But you steal a show and you have him number 10 overall. I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I have him going 10th overall. But Trevor, let's get into this player who the tape's awesome. The mm-hmm. tape is awesome. This is a redshirt junior. He's listed six foot, 280 pounds. Mm-hmm. So let's call it what it is. He's going to be fighting that fight that guys like Grady Jarrett have fought, not bringing up Aaron Donald. But he had to fight that fight. Aaron Donald wasn't a top five pick. I, I remember Aaron Donald was no lock to go top 15. He had to fight that fight. Even Sheldon Rankins, who... Let me look at Sheldon Rankins' height from the combine. 6-1. Sheldon Rankins, 6-1. There you go. Same, same thing. There you go. So these are guys that are obviously first-round talents. Grady Jarrett played up to being a first-round talent, didn't go in the first round. Aaron Donald and Sheldon Rankins have had... Aaron Donald's had one of the best NFL careers of all time. Sheldon Rankin's been a really good player for a long time. Kalaja Kansi's going to have to fight that because mm-hmm. he's probably six feet tall. He's probably going to come in at the combine around 280, 285, whatever he could do. But all that matters is this dude is a pass-rushing mammoth. Mammoth. He's a mammoth. He's, a wild, years, he's a wild man. <laughs> he's a, he has done some of the craziest shit I have ever seen from interior <laughs> defensive linemen. There's a play... Once again, we can't tweet out all 22, and I went and found the broadcast of it, and it didn't do it justice, so I kept it in my pocket. There is a play, and I get it. Again, it's against Rhode Island, but he also dominates really good teams, so mm-hmm. that's not the point. Where Trevor, he does like a UFC jump and swipe. Instead of the Superman punch, he jumps and swipes, kills the running back into the quarterback, and I'm like, that is one of the craziest plays I have ever seen from an interior defensive lineman prospect. Two-year starter, back-to-back seven-sack seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finished this season with seven sacks, nine more quarterback hits, 30 hurries. He had a pass rush win rate of 22.7%. Yeah, that's good. God levels good. from the interior. It's good. Twitchy, agile, active hands. Uh, it's very hard to keep this man blocked. He also flashes some bull rush power despite playing at 280. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's kind of the the you know the art of war aspect, right? The mental warfare with him. I think you see him. If you're a big hulking offensive lineman, you go, all right, little man, you know, I got probably 40 pounds on you, three to five inches. My arms are longer. Mm-hmm. Everything about me is bigger, all the way from my pads down to whatever you want to say. Ayo. And you think he's going to try to work around you, shoot gaps, play small. And he'll surprise you by getting his hands inside you and moving you. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the mental aspect of this dude's game. His explosiveness off the ball allows him to dictate almost every rush. Every time the ball is snapped, he's in control. He's either two-way go, even if he's he's just trying to hit on a stunt and twist, even if he's trying to work the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen him stand up rush. That was another thing I wrote in here. He has the versatility to rush as a stand-up guy on passing downs. He's like, all right, get your ass out there to the seven or the five. Stand up, full speed ahead. Uh, I-, I thought he garnered a ton of respect from other teams. He saw a ton of double teams. There's, there's, You'll go 10 snaps in a row of this guy having a guard and center on him. Kalijah can't see, man. He, he's explosive against the run. He's not a guy. 
he's not going to be for everyone. Let me say it that way, right? I think a 4-3, pin your ears back and go, get off the ball scheme, rush first, think later. And when I say that, I mean rush first. You're not reading, reacting, and containing, and controlling two gaps and all that. You know, more. that's more of the usually Belichick, Brian Flores, guys like that that have done those kinds of defenses. This is a 4-3. You put this dude in San Francisco scheme, the mm-hmm. New York Jets scheme, Seattle scheme, I think the Eagles, and you just let him go, he's going to clean up at the NFL level. I was blown away, blown away by his tape. You know what uh, I was about to say made me mad? It didn't actually make me mad. But I was like, oh, man, I was thinking about Kalijah. And when Mel put him at 10 of the Eagles in his mock, I was like, that's just, I mean, that's egregious. It's erroneous on all accounts. And then I was, and I was thinking about Kalijah. And I was thinking about his skill set. And I was thinking about exactly what you just said. And I was like, I was like, yeah, what you really need is you need him to go to an offense or you need him to go to D-line that's got a really dominant nose, right? A really dominant nose tackle to where Kalijah can be one-on-one. And I was like, you know what team would be perfect? Oh, the Eagles, because they have Jordan Davis. <laughs> so- he, he nailed it. He nailed it. Now, I would like Kalijah Kansi at 32. I agree. More 31. than 10. What? Oh, 31. Just, yeah. Well, sorry. Yeah, yeah, 31. The Whatever. forfeited pick. Gets Whatever it, it is. Whatever it is. I agree with you completely. When you snap the football, this young man is on your ass. I, I, was, I was laughing at a couple of these plays because the center would snap the football, and then as he is putting his hand in his head up, Cansey is already not just like up in his shit, but like already like hand fighting the chest and where his arms are to where the center's like, hold on, this is not supposed to happen this fast. And then all of a sudden, like Cansey's hitting a swim move on him, getting underneath the arm, whatever, boom, he's in the backfield. And he would do that with guards. He would do that with centers. He would do that with everybody. You mentioned it. He's six foot tall, 100 or 100. Uh, he is six feet tall, 280, 285 pounds. But it is hard to think that if you had a defensive lineman, a three-tech defensive lineman that is this size, that they could do better than what Kalijah Kansi does. He is as good as a uh, of a small pass-rushing defensive tackle as you are going to find. The explosiveness is there. The motor is relentless. The bull rush is fantastic. The leverage is always on point. He hits the swim move. He hits the push-pull. He does all of that stuff. He will hit a spin move on you. He'll do WWE moves, apparently. And look, (laughs) he will hold his own against single blocks. If you come at him in the run game, he will hold his own. Now, of course, if you start double-teaming him, if he's in the middle of a duo, yeah, he's going to get knocked back a little bit. He's he's 280 pounds. It's just going to happen. That's one of those things where you just have to accept it. He is a small defensive tackle, but I will say it again. Four small defensive tackles, it is hard to think they could play that position better than Clyde Jacancy does. The violence, the quickness, the relentlessness, it is all there for this dude. He is consistently in the backfield. You mentioned the hurries. He also had 14 and a half tackles for loss, and I believe that's the second year in a row that he has had back-to-back double-digit tackles for loss. It just shows you what kind of a backfield producer this guy is. And that really, really matters in this class because even if you take the potential of Brian Brzee, of Siaka Ika, of Mazzy Smith, of Gervin Dexter, of whoever you want. 
banging into the backfield like this dude is. No. Not even in their best, right? No. Right? Not even at their best are they getting in the back. This young man lives in the backfield. I I have this theory that especially when it comes to goal line and short yardage backs, when you score touchdowns on offense, when when it is just second nature to you, that yeah, this is what we do. When we get into the red zone, when we get to the goal line, they hand me the ball and I get across the line of scrimmage and I score. There is something mentally to that. You just expect to score. It's not, oh, I'm going to take the first contact that I see at the line of scrimmage, and I'm going to you know, try my best to get as many yards as I can. No, 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 no. We score. I get into the end zone. This isn't special. This is the standard. This is what happens. When we get down here, and I, and I, I have a affinity for backs that score a lot of touchdowns in college because it ain't rare for them when they make it to the NFL. Instead, once that opportunity comes up again in the pros, it's already in their mental. This is what I do. I cross the goal line. I'm making it happen. We're scoring six. I feel similarly with defensive linemen who live in the backfield. This is what I, because look, man, I watched Mozzie. I watched Saika. I watched Brian Brzee. Sure. They are not people. That we watch Dexter. They are not people who live in the backfield. And it's not because of lack of ability. There are times when I would watch Mozzie and I'm like, dude, get off the block. Like you've got him there. Do what you have done before. I've seen you in this exact situation. Throw a push pull on a guy, hit a swim move on a guy, get into the backfield. And they just, it's it's just not second nature to them. Tansy's home is in the backfield. Before the mortgage rates went up, this man got himself a plot of land, and that's where he's living right now. He's big chilling. The value on this property is through the roof. It's because he was in there early, and he stayed there ever since. He is a backfield guy. That is where his home is, and I think that is so valuable for an interior defensive lineman like him. You mentioned, is he going to be for literally everybody? No, of course. If you're playing an odd front, yeah, he's probably not for you. Probably can't draft him. But I really hope that he goes to the perfect team because this is a dude that is consistently working. He is fast. He is violent. And he is my kind of football player. So I agree with you. That's why I got him at number two. I mean, man, he's it's for real. For anybody out there that reacted kind of surprised when they saw him going 10th overall in Mel's mock or whatever it might be, uh, he is extremely, extremely for real because he wrecks. He's a game wrecker. He's a game wrecker that he just is does things that you won't see a lot of guys be able to do in terms of his, I, I mean, for his, his flexibility, Trevor, is just unbelievable, at, even at that size. Now, uh, uh, undersized IDL. I'll, I'll, I will just say this. It's kind of an obvious, but I might I might as well say it just because we have a podcast about it. Um, he does have the similar issues that, that Ika and Mozzie Smith do where the arms are shorter, right? I will watch him bull rush and get up into an offensive lineman's chest and he he times everything perfectly fires off the ball the hands go exactly where they need to the offensive lineman is knocked back they're on their heels they're trying to grasp at anything to try to get back control they're trying to hop their feet but he's pushing them too far back and the second he goes okay now and goes to rip them down in a push pull Sometimes it's the same thing where the arm length just isn't long enough to get a clean disengagement from the block, that he cannot cleanly shed the block as well as you would want him to. And that's just a physical thing that you got to be okay with. So I, I wanted to mention that too, but that seems to be a consistent 
that you're going to have to find through this class. And if you're going to live with it from one guy, you're going to live with it from Kalaja Kansi, I think. Exactly. Shout exactly. out Mel Kuyper. I will shout out to Mel. Shout out to Mel. I will give you the floor for number one because I got to just take take off on the runway 100 miles an hour for Kansi. So it's only fair you get number one. All right. Uh, Jalen Carter, goat. Uh, back to you, Carter. All right, back that's to you, Connor. A, that's um, really what it is. No, so Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter um, was talked about as one of the best players, if not the best player on Georgia's defensive line last year that he wasn't even draft eligible. And this is a defensive line that had Trayvon Walker. It had Jordan Davis. It had Devontae Wyatt. It had Nolan Smith. It had all these guys. And, it, and there were plenty of people that were saying that Jalen Carter was the best among them. Second year in a row that he has had an elite PFF grade, not just overall, but also as a pass rusher. And this year, he also had an elite grade as a run defender, too. Six foot three, 310 pounds. He is built in a lab. There is no bad weight on this dude whatsoever. He is thick and powerful in the lower half, and he is strong and stacked from the chest, the shoulders, the arms. This dude is, I mean, he is, he, he is. He is a physical freak. Now, he's only started 11 out of 36 games that he's been at Georgia, but I think that goes into Georgia's rotation that they're going to have no matter what because they like to keep a lot of their guys fresh. Um, simply put, I mean, I'll, I'll just I'll just read some of the strengths and weaknesses that I have on here just because there's I feel like there's so many strengths. Yes. Rare speed, power, explosiveness. Yep. And I mean that. I, not just – and a lot of times I will put in my notes, hey, good – Speed, power, explosiveness. Adequate speed, power, explosiveness. Very good speed, power, explosiveness. Rare. Unique, even, from this dude of how good he is. Um, He is... The push-pulls that he will execute, devastating. I mean, ragdolling 330-pound young men who have great careers ahead of them. Long, healthy lives ahead of them. Fulfilling moments yet to come. And he is tossing them aside as if their lives don't even matter. Um, he loves a swim move. I think that he could pull it off effectively. And any time that he really times it right, he's always drawing a flag, or at least he's drawing what should be a holding penalty. Um, I, I think that this dude could play anything from a zero tech to a five tech. He's got the most versatility of any defensive lineman in this class because of how good he is. Georgia even stood him up sometimes as an edge rusher just to be hilarious about it. Like, I did see... There was one clip. I can't remember what game it was from. Some poor tight end was on the edge. LSU's a good guess because God, (laughs) he murder LSU. Some poor tight end on the edge uh, had to go up against him because the offensive line was slanting the other way. And I think Jordan, I I think uh, Jalen Carter just, I think he only used one arm. Like, I think he just only used one arm to completely dominate. Put the other one behind his back and said, watch this kiddo. So the negatives about Jalen Carter, because I don't think he's a perfect prospect. There are a lot of technical discipline things that I think that he needs to get better at. The hand placement is all over the place. He can he gets away with it because he is that good, but it is truly all over the place. I, it's it's something that I would love to see him get better out of the pros. Um, sometimes I wondered like if it was even going to really hurt him that much in the pros because that's how good this guy is. And another thing, he often gives up his chest a lot. Like if he, like he he. Again, it's kind of one of those things where he knows he's so much stronger than whoever he's going to go up against. He doesn't exactly protect his chest from offensive linemen really being able to get in there with their hands. And I think in the NFL, you got guys who are bigger and stronger 
when you give them that proper technique and when they're able to get their hands in the right location, it's going to be more difficult to really get those guys off you and get around and get into the backfield. So then he gives up his chest a little bit too easily. The hand placement's all over the place. Um, I noted this. There are times when I don't think he knows where he's supposed to line up. And I, I, I mentioned that I I'm only mentioning this catch because I saw it multiple times. Like there were times when he would line up as say like a three tech and the linebacker would like run up to him and, and like, and like tap him and like say something to him. And it wasn't like him getting over a gap. It wasn't like him going from a three tech to like a shade. It was him going from a three tech on one side of the line scrimmage to like the five tech on the other side of the line scrimmage. It's almost just like he didn't know where to line up. So I don't know. I think obviously we got to get that. um, uh, We got to, we got to get that figured out, but Truly one of the most physically gifted football players I've ever watched. Um, if if he hones in on his hand placement, on defending his chest a little bit better, and just being exactly where he needs to be, Connor, this is an all-pro player. I, I've got a little category that says role, like where I think that their role could be. And sometimes that's also, like I say, like role slash like potential, like what I could see from him. I have in here all-pro defensive tackle. And I almost never give players an all pro label when they're coming out. I mean, these are, that is a blue chip label only. He reminds me physically of Indominican Sue. Now, when Sue was coming out of Mm -hmm. Nebraska, Sue's football IQ was off the charts as well. So he was, he was very experienced. He was very anticipatory. I don't think Jalen Carter is as anticipatory as Indominican Sue was. But that is the mold of player that we are talking about. That is the kind of physically imposing beast that we are talking about as a defensive tackle. Um, without question, a top five grade for me and a player who should absolutely be picked as such. Yeah, I mean, he's just different. He's different. When you watch him play, he's unblockable. You can't keep him blocked. He's out of, like you said, he's he's out of control with his hands because he's, He's so gifted that I don't know if he'll ever have to be a technically refined player. Honestly, I I really just think that at the end of the day, it just doesn't really matter because he's that talented. He's that quick. He's that explosive. He's that flexible. He's that powerful. He plays with his hair on fire. He does this against the run. He does this as a pass rusher. Um, He has Trevor. What's crazy to me is his stop and start at that size. I mean, he can hit a rush lane one way and then change direction the other way. This is a guy that's going to be chasing down the Josh Allens of the world and the Lamar Jacksons of the world, like that kind of dude. So, and when you talk about the the lining up thing, I noticed it too. I think he just, I want to word this right. I think he just does what he wants sometimes. I really (laughs) felt that way. And he can get away with it, which is crazy enough. He can get away with it. it. So he's a special player. Yeah, um, truly. I, yeah, I mean, I come away with this, and it, it's tougher between him and Will Anderson than I thought, to be honest with you. I, I really, because I've been on the Will's number one player overall in this draft for a while, and when I just keep revisiting Carter, I'm like, man, you, he's going to get some special player comps, and it, he's a difference maker. I mean, a difference maker where he's going to be on an NFL field, and he's probably, I, I'll put it like this. And I know the odds will be interesting because of how talented Will Anderson is. 
Jalen Carter should be the favorite for defensive rookie of the year because of how I don't think there will be an adjustment for him that will, a player like Will Anderson will have to go through. When you're rushing from the edge and you are a lighter guy, mm-hmm. things that used to work in college won't work in the NFL anymore. The things that won't, yeah, things that work for Jalen Carter in college will still work in the NFL because he's just quicker than guards and centers. Yeah. He's stronger than tackles. Right. So that was kind of interesting to me. I'm with you. Top five grade. Um, at a minimum, will probably be my number two overall player on this draft. I could see him finishing as my number one overall player. I will go back and forth on those two guys. Testing on the D-line is really big, so comb- combine will be really big. But mm-hmm. if the Bears don't trade the pick, he, there's a good shot. He's the number one overall selection. Wouldn't shock anyone. Well, Bears got to trade the pick. But I, I do see what you're they saying. Your, your, your point they stands. Um, before we get out of here, is there anybody that we really didn't mention that you have outside of the top five? I have, I have Mazzy Smith as my six. Um out of seventh. Okay, so I'm number one on Bruce Feldman's freak list is the Michigan defensive tackle. Comes in at six foot three, three hundred and thirty-seven pounds. There's a lot of things that I think he does really well. I mean, he's a fantastic athlete. I think he turns the corner very well. I think he's got a great swim move to him. He knows how to get off the block. I just feel like his tape is way too hot and cold. Like you watch the Iowa game and then you watch the Ohio State game and you go, Okay, why didn't you play like that? versus Iowa the way that you played against Ohio State. Like, if people only watch the Ohio State game, it's kind of like watching Brian Brzee against UNC. You're going to think this dude should be a potential, like a first-round pick. And you watch the rest of his tape, and it's just like, it's kind of confusing how he doesn't have that same kind of success. The consistency is just not there with with Molly Smith. And maybe it will be in the NFL, but um, was kind of discouraged by how, especially against the run, uh, it felt like he was against a handful of teams that I watched. But the Ohio state game is great. And so, you know, he, I know he gets, he's, he gets up for the big games and you love to see that. And that's the best competition that he faced. And that was the best game that he put out there. So yep. I, I think that that's so, certainly worth noting for him. Um, he's another player who will give you a lot of good pass rush potential as an interior guy. I just felt like he just was not reliable enough. He's still a rotational player in my opinion right now. Yeah. I thought he played a little high against the run and, and just got moved around a lot. Uh, I, think his athletic splashes as a rusher are very impressive, but you look at a dude that's 340, and I didn't see much bull rush power. Yep. He he fits the Ika mold, I thought to a way lesser extent, of right. huge, athletic as hell, rumored sub-7-3 cone, which is alien territory at that mm-hmm. size, but likes the finesse rush. Dirty work against the run, leaves you underwhelmed. So I'm with you there. He's going to be a developmental middle of the draft kind of guy. Although athletes tend to go early. You mentioned Byron Young. I liked Byron Young. I had him him sixth. Uh, I was, you know, when you look at Gervin Dexter, I was a little let down. He, He was a player that I thought would be a complete player. And I saw a niche run stopping player. I thought he was sluggish off the ball in his rush. Tons of stalemates in one V ones. You wouldn't know he played against Georgia, honestly. I watched every snap against Georgia, and I'm like, man, he's just out there. He's just out there. He doesn't want that smoke against them. Uh, But I thought he was strong, tough, and gritty against the run. I mean, he's somebody that if I drafted him in the fourth round, I have a place for him in my rotation Mm -hmm. where I could stick him out there at the three-tech and be like, hey, man, just don't get moved off the ball. Get in the way against the run. He could do that. So I guess my expectations from summer and hype was he could be – a fringe first round player. And he's just kind of the same exact guy after that, where you look at him and go, 
third to fourth round player, run stuffer, total t- just nothing as a pass rusher right now. Yeah, he's just pretty slow off the ball, unfortunately. He just doesn't have that quick twitch. Like when the ball is snapped, it feels like he's uh, often the last guy out of his stance, but super strong run defender. I mean, he's six foot six, 315 pounds. And so, you know, if you want to play him as a defensive end in an odd front, you know, where he's he's almost that's like what playing I'm between the tackles and you can use yeah. his length and he could two gap on the outside. Like, that's great because I do think he's a really powerful run defender. But like I said, just the, and it's not like he's not, explosive he's just not quick twitched and so it kind of just shows up in how he would rush the passer doesn't have a lot of pass rush pedigree right now so um yeah i just think that he's 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 a run defender and uh if you want him to be more that's okay it just might it's going to take a little bit of time don't expect to get any pass rush out of him in the first couple of years he'll probably just be a rotational um run stuffing interior defense but which is okay i mean he's like i said he's uniquely built Six foot six, two three hundred fifteen pounds. If you get Gervin, look De- long. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you if you get Gervin Dexter, like I gave him a late day two grade, but I mean, if you get him anywhere in the third round, beginning of the third round, whenever, like you're getting a good defensive lineman, a guy he, that you're going to be able he's to gonna rotate play, in. Yeah, he's going to last in the NFL for a really long time because he's just he's tough and gritty against the run. He's got the build to succeed against the run. I it's funny how players are shaped. Right. If I'd never heard of Gervin Dexter in my life until this draft season, I'd be like, this is a nice back end of third round player who's going to rotate on a D line for a while and help you against the run. A lot of teams need that help. From all the summer work we did, I was like, man, I wanted this guy to be a top 40 pick and sure have six sacks and kind of move people off the line and just be a force. So, yeah, that's the game of the draft. That is the game of the draft. Well, if you guys are excited about what we were talking about with Jalen Carter, about Kalijah Cansey, and uh, you want to invest in him, Mojo is going to actually give you the opportunity to be able to do that. Mojo is the all-new sports stock market that lets you invest in your favorite athletes and cash in on your passion. Sign up right now on the Apple App Store to get your first player stock for free, which if you get in early enough, could be worth up to tens of thousands of dollars. Over 300 NFL players are listening on Mojo right now, so not the rookies yet, but... Of course, soon you've got uh, rookie of the year candidates. Uh, you know, you guys like uh, guys like Brock Purdy, guys like Garrett Wilson, guys like Sauce Garner, right? You got comeback player of the year guys like Geno Smith. You got Saquon Barkley. Of course, you got guys like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, all of those as well. You can go along and make money when an underrated diamond in the rough breaks out, or you can short sell an overrated rival if that's how you want to make some cash that way. Prices move with every game, every headline, and every play, so you could buy and sell instantly anytime, all year long. Mojo is live in New Jersey right now, so download the Mojo app in the Apple App Store to start turning your playmakers into moneymakers. Must be 21 years or older to use Mojo and located in New Jersey to make some trades. If you got a gambling problem, help is available at 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit mojo.com for more details. There's four teams, only four teams left. Two conference championship games and only a few more shots to win big in the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Countdown to Super Bowl 57 and new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 for free in bets instantly. If you're not a new customer, you can feel the conference championship thrills with our stepped up same game parlays over at DraftKings. You can take a shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg up to 100 I've really enjoyed using the DraftKings Sportsbook app. It's super easy. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff in there. NFL stuff plus a ton of other sports that I'm starting to dabble in. And, uh, you know, 
won a couple of good bets lately. Okay, folks. Just won a couple of good bets. You want to dabble into other sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, they're going to let you do it. The all DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code PFF. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championship and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code PFF. Minimum agent eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Connor, anything else before we get out of here? Oh, we got an exciting week coming up. Um, Woo! It's Senior Bowl week. Senior what Bowl, is, baby. We will not be doing a preview because we talked about a lot of these guys. There's no reason to really allocate a show towards what... Because And also, 99% of the people that listen to the show won't be there. So they're not, lo- like, they're not looking out for this stuff. So instead, right. we will have a really fun mock draft-related show for you on Monday. Uh, we think a lot of you liked liked the concept of us going through DJ's picks. Mm-hmm. So now we will do the same thing with Mel Kuyper's picks mm. on Monday. But Trevor and I will both be at the Senior Bowl, and the other two shows of the week will be Senior Bowl-centric. Yes, We will be letting you know everything that happens at practice, everything going on with NFL teams, players on the rise, all that great stuff. So two out of three next week are Senior Bowl-related, but we will kick off the week uh, with a very mock draft centric episode. So it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun going forward. Could not have wrapped it up and previewed it better myself. Well done, my friend. I'm excited about so. it. I'm excited for the mock draft episode to really dig into Mel Kuyper's mock because I've seen it a little bit, but I'm excited to really analyze it with you. Plaza can't see number one fan. Woo! Now we good are for, good for, good for Mel good for plant me. that flag. I mean, we're gonna, I mean, we're going to rip his mock draft to shreds like we do everybody's, but good for Mel, you know? Good, good luck out there, Mel. Prepare uh, for hell. I'm super excited for next week. We're going to have Shrine Bowl updates. We're going to have Senior Bowl updates. It is going to be jam-packed. And if this is when you kick off your NFL draft coverage, welcome. Buckle up. Hell yeah. It's going to be a wild ride. I'm Trevor hey, Sikma. That is Connor Rogers. Thank you guys so much for listening to the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. See you guys next week. Bye.